Do you have an inquisitive mind? Where do you go for answers? Imagine if the natural world held an answer to every question. Welcome to the Flowerhood Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Frankpitt. I'm on an orchard growing avocados and there's something going on. The more time I spend in nature, the more I learn about myself. Is it possible that until we connect with nature, we never truly flourish in our relationships, community, businesses or health? Oh boy, this is no ordinary gardening podcast. Join me at my kitchen table for wide and varied conversations with old and new friends from around the world. I'll be asking questions on how they connect with nature, what the research shows us, and look for ways we can incorporate these learnings into our lives. Let's get started. Kia ora and welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Flowerhood. I'm so appreciative of you tuning in. And I'm personally very excited about this week's episode as it's a little bit of a different angle on flowerhood and my message all around connecting us with nature. And it's so important what we're going to be chatting about and it fits in so perfectly. So to start off, I have a question for you. Have you noticed things are getting really interesting in the world of food? Oh, I feel like there is this vegan vegetarian revolution happening and it was once silent and underground, but now it's becoming a roar. I was walking through the supermarket two days ago and I was perusing the cold section and I couldn't help but notice all these different plant-based milks. There was like oat milk, almond milk, soy, cashew, rice, coconut. And then I was pushing my old wonky wheeled trolley to the next section and there was barbecue jackfruit for tacos, Californian wellness bowls, curried sweet potato pie and all these really delicious sounding plant-based products prominently displayed. And I'm thinking, wow, like, were they there two years ago? And now they're here taking up this prime space. Well, perhaps during COVID-19 lockdown, you found yourself watching the documentaries, Fork Over Knives, Cowspiracy, The Game Changers, Plan Eat or Plant Pure. Well, I believe the universe is sending us signs. And when you start seeing plant-based everywhere, hearing plant-based speak, it's all over social channels and even the guys at my gym are talking about it. You have to sit down or sit up and pay attention. And if you're someone who's been hearing this message for a while and you're starting to think, hey, should I try this? And how would I even try this? Well, you're picking up on those little universe whisperings. And this episode is for you. Now, if you are a proud meat eater, you will always be a meat eater. This is no problem. My challenge to you is to listen with an open mind and curiosity. So I'm not here to convert you. My guest isn't here to convert you. But why not just for the next half hour, get a little bit curious because you may find in six months or a year, you or someone you really love has a major health crisis, and this information could help support their road to recovery. So there's no judgment here, guys. I love you all. 
but I'm not going to lie, the universe has been calling me. So without further ado, let me introduce a very special guest. Karen Sawyer was born and raised in the beautiful New Zealand, lives in Melbourne, Australia. She's a certified in plant-based nutrition through eCornell and has studied health coaching. So Karen specifically helps women transition to plant-based eating to transform their health, drop excess kilos, and feel really comfortable in their own skin. And hey, for my male listeners, don't worry guys, there's plenty in this for you too. As a lover of whole plant foods, Karen has a staunch belief that the body is always trying to heal and will do so when the right environment is created. It is her mission to help as many women as she can transition to plant-based eating for not only their own health benefits, but for the benefits of the planet and animals. Karen loves singing, rock music, and she is a gym junkie. And well, that'll be when things reopen up, because just to give you a little bit of context, we're recording this on the second week in August 2020, and Melbourne is in full lockdown. But that won't stop her spending time with her cat, as yes, she is a crazy cat lady. So Karen, welcome to Flowerhood Podcast. I'm so pleased you're here. Thanks for having me, Alex. It's great to be here. (laughs) Well, look, I'm really excited about this. And I've been looking forward to this chat because well, basically I've got a bit of a personal agenda. <laughs> a lot of kind of gravity for me as I feel the universe really is calling me to care for my body and change what I eat. So first off, I'd just love it if we can go back in time a little bit and have a chat about perhaps when you grew up, where and when you grew up, and what was childhood like? Uh, What even were you eating during your childhood and then how that kind of led through into your 20s and 30s? Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, I guess my story really does start right at the beginning. My mother, back when I was born as a very early childhood, was sort of the the hippie of the 70s, really. It was all about the whole grains, natural foods. We grew up not being allowed to eat things like sweets or processed foods. We didn't have any um, store-bought biscuits or anything like that in the house. We weren't allowed junk. We weren't allowed fizzy. And, you know, as a a child growing up, that was kind of hard. It was really tough, particularly going to parties and seeing what my friends were eating. It's not that we weren't allowed to eat it at parties, but, you know, my friends were eating white bread sandwiches and that's all I wanted where I was eating homemade brown bread, these thick, chunky slices. And, you know, when you're four years old, it's not really what you <laughs> want to be eating. <laughs> I absolutely relate to that, by the way, because my dream was always to have white bread sandwiches with hundreds of thousands on them, which yes, I think um, exactly. in the States you call sprinkles. And we were never allowed them. And we were never allowed shop-bought biscuits either. They were always yeah, like yeah. these strange ones we called birdie num-nums, which were made from, I reckon my mum made them from birdseed. Yeah, anyway, probably. Please keep yeah. on going, sorry. Well, it was exactly the, same, exactly the same in our household. And yeah, I wanted the white bread sandwiches with the sprinkles on them. <laughs> but no, it wasn't happening. Um, in fact, there was a bit of a funny story. When I was four, my next door neighbour, Belinda, came over to see me and she had some chewing gum. And, you know, being a little rebellious child that I was, I wanted some too because I wasn't allowed it. And we were playing on the swing set out in the backyard and we were hanging upside down and my hair was hanging down. I had long red hair back then and, and 
and my hair was hanging down. Of course, the gum came out of my mouth and got stuck in my hair. So slap on the wrist and my hair got chopped off. <laughs> my mum was not happy. <laughs> but, um, That's great. Yeah. But that was my childhood, really. And that's a lot of what I remember. And as much as I say it was tough at the time, well, it felt tough. I actually really, really look back on that now with a lot of thanks for mum and for thanks for the way that she sort of introduced us to food, the foods that she introduced, you know, our bodies to as we were growing up. It meant that we were getting a really good start in life. And yeah, sure, as we started to grow up and you know, mum sort of became less of a hippie in the 80s. (laughs) We did start to have a little bit more processed food start to enter the the diet. And don't get me wrong, we were, you know, meat and three veg, typical sort of New Zealand diet. So there was nothing strange about that. Although I do remember my mother saying once that she tried to get the family to go vegetarian when we were young and none of us were having it. And I, (laughs) that was one thing, that was a quote I remember her saying many years ago, but uh, no, it never happened. But yeah, it was um, sort of as I started hitting my teenage years, I guess, the word vegetarian sort of started coming into my vocabulary. And I think it was one of my school friends who actually sort of introduced me to this concept. And, you know, I grew up with cats and I grew up in the Waikato and we were surrounded by farmland and I would often go out and talk to cows on farms and, you know, you'd, you'd go past paddocks and see horses and that sort of stuff. And so I'd often stop and just talk to the animals and I started to get this connection with them. I could see a soul behind the eyes, I guess. And so when I sort of started, I guess, discovering this word vegetarianism and realizing really that what was on my plate was an animal, a dead animal, I started to think about this more. And it was in my teenage years, and I don't exactly remember what age I was, I started to learn to cook at home. You know, we'd always sort of been involved in the kitchen with mum over the years, but, you know, I started to take on some of the family dinners. And um, this is when I started uh, looking for vegetarian recipes and started experimenting a bit then. They weren't, weren't very tasty, I imagine. But <laughs> and Not there were most. days that yeah, I remember. I remember lots of uh, either fried rice dishes or bean dishes. And I remember, you know, Dad would come home from work sometimes and just look at the plate and go, "Where's the meat?" <laughs> and I would just laugh at him and just say, "There is none, none tonight." And I was always a real picky eater with meat. Anyway, it just to me, I absolutely hated the taste of of fat on meat, gristle and fat and all that sort of stuff. It just grossed me out. Taste was gross. The texture was gross. So I was always just. I would probably eat about a third of what I was given and push the rest to the side of my plate and dad would eat that and just laugh at me. So there was something in me that didn't really want to eat it anyway. And so when I left home at about age 20, after I finished my university degree, I moved from Hamilton to Auckland to essentially go and live with my, my fiancé at the time. I got engaged very, very early. Yeah, and, that's um, young. <laughs> well, I got married at 21. <laughs> we all make mistakes. It's okay. <laughs> no, just kidding. No, I was very young. But it was when we moved in together that we actually decided to go full vegetarian together. And... Yeah, so it was really good having somebody who was on board with that decision as well. And and um, it was probably a couple of years later, we actually started getting involved with an organisation in New Zealand. I hope they're still going. I haven't seen anything from them. They're called um, SAFE, uh, Save Animals from Exploitation. They're obviously an animal rights um, group. And we started to get sort of heavily involved with that. And, you know, during that process, the, the time of getting involved with them, we transitioned to vegan at the time as well. 
And that was, I was probably in my mid-20s, mid to late 20s around there. I really can't sort of remember what, what age range I was. But I remember it being sort of, it was quite difficult. There weren't many good replacements. Like soy milk was pretty bad. Soy ice cream was average. There weren't a lot of, I guess, replacement meats. And what was available in a lot of cases was pretty bad. <laughs> and I know that my nutrition knowledge back then was not what it is now. And like most people, when giving up a meat product, your first focus is where am I going to get my protein? So yeah. we were too reliant on looking for things like soy protein powders, for looking for alternative meats and things like that to replace our protein. And yeah, look, I think we were probably vegan for about five years or something and sort of not really having the nutritional knowledge. And I don't know, I think we were a little bit burnt out um, and exhausted by the sort of animal activism um, that we were doing as well. We both ended up going back to eating dairy. And then it was a few, a couple of years after that, that we actually moved to Australia to Melbourne and at that point I think it was somewhere around there anyway it was once we'd moved to Australia that I at least went back to eating fish and our marriage broke up at that point and I sort of continued not to, over the fish um, eating I presume no <laughs> no <laughs> no no nothing nothing related to the fish <laughs> but I continue I continued to have fish seafood in my diet for a while, I can't really remember how many years that was. It wasn't a big portion. It's not like I was eating it every night, but it was definitely in my diet. And there was something in, the, in me that was calling me. It was, I, I did not like, it was something in my ego, I guess. <laughs> I didn't like calling myself a pescatarian. I at least wanted to be a vegetarian and to feel more aligned with who I wanted to be. And then even as I went back to vegetarian, I felt this calling to go back to vegan as well because, again, you know, there's still animal abuse that happens in the dairy and egg industries. Uh, you know, it's not, animals are not killed in those industries. So to me, it still didn't feel aligned. But there was something in me that was just, I don't know, holding myself back. Mm. I don't know what it was. I needed some sort of kick, some sort of push to yeah. get me back to it. And Do you think you were leading a nutritionally balanced life back then? Because, you know, I always think of, you know, when kind of well, going back further, when kind of 14-year-olds announced to their their mums, I'm going to be vegetarian, <laughs> yeah. and then yeah. all they eat is cheese pizza. It's yeah, like, yeah. you mm. know, <laughs> that <Yeah>. doesn't work. <laughs> I definitely know what you mean. Look, as far as eating that way, yeah, I think it, was, it wasn't completely out of balance. Let me just say, when we were vegan and you know, we were friends with other animal rights activists back then. We de I definitely identified the, the people who weren't doing it right, you know, the mm. people who were eating fried shit butties with tomato sauce every day for, for their dinner. They didn't look healthy. And at least with my background with my mother, you know, vegetables were always at the fore. And I was, because I was raised on whole foods, I just love this idea of having a lot of fresh food in my diet. So yeah, even though there was, you know, there were things in my diet that I wouldn't want to eat now. I was still eating a lot of fresh and healthy foods as well. Yeah, so you so, really you know, had that foundation there to start yeah, off the with, foundation. which is amazing. I mean, that's such yeah. a gift to, to give a child is to have that and to be able to identify the vegetables and know what they are. And, and we're very yeah. lucky, you know, both of us are from New Zealand and, and we're probably from a generation where there were gardens 
yes, you know, yes. there was a vegetable garden. Everybody had yes. a vegetable garden. Yes, we did too. My parents always grew veggie gardens. When we lived in Fielding for a few years as well, we had we actually had things like plum trees and I think apricot yeah. and apple trees as well. Yeah, it was beautiful. Dad, sadly, my mother has passed away earlier this year, but dad still has a garden at home. So <laughs> still has his veggie garden and it's great going home and, you know, eating the produce straight from the garden. You're going out and picking the basil and the tomatoes and yeah, it's great. I love it. So yeah, we were very lucky, I guess. Mm. So tell me then, you were just saying, because I did interrupt and I'm very sorry That's about right. that, but so you knew there was something else that you kept on wanting to go further. So what do you think that calling was? What do you think that was exactly that was? I think that's my soul, you know, being the animal lover. And, you know, how can you really call yourself an animal lover if you're still partaking in an industry that harms animals? So to me, I knew I wanted to come back to being vegan. But, yeah, like I say, there was just something blocking me from from not from not just not making that transition. And I'm not too sure what it was. And I always told myself that if I was to get cancer, for example, I would go vegan straight away. Now, why I said this is because many years ago, I used to be a book category manager for Whitcalls. And the categories that I looked after were things like mind, body, spirit, health, and education, and those sorts of books. And there was a book that came out while I was there called Your Life in Your Hands by Professor Jane Plant. And it was her story of having breast cancer. I think she had it something like five times before she found she took her life into her own hands, essentially. And she did the research to find out that animal products and particularly dairy was, I guess, causing or making her cancer remain in her body. So she changed her whole way of eating, she went to organic plant-based only eating and cured herself. And she's still alive to this day. I'm rereading the book now and she's, she's released it several times. But I was vegan at the time that came out. Boy, did I feel proud. <laughs> and I actually yeah. got to go to, a, I actually got to go to a, a lunch with her. She toured the world as she was releasing this book. And, and because I was working for Wickles, I got, um, got to go to this lunch and and with her, she was releasing it. And yeah, I felt really proud at the time. And I guess that sort of slipped out of my consciousness as I, as I grew up and got older. But um, I guess there was something always in the back of my mind. But there's been a history of breast cancer in my, in my family. Both my grandmother and my great-grandmother had it. And as my mum was approaching sort of age 67, which is when my grandmother and great-grandmother were both diagnosed with it, my mother was concerned that, you know, perhaps she was going to contract it as well, but she didn't. And so then I started thinking, well, maybe it skips a generation. Maybe, maybe that's something that is going to get me. And so I always had this in the back of my mind, if I get breast cancer, I'm going vegan because I know that has worked for others and it will work for me. So I just kind of had this certainty, I guess, but it wasn't breast cancer that I, um, I ended up with. I ended up with skin cancer instead. So something that's also in my family, being red-haired, fair, fair-skinned, both my parents have had parts of their bodies cut out, <laughs> had um, skin cancers removed. So yeah, I ended up with a, an invasive mole on my thigh and had two operations to remove it. Thankfully, it was only in stage one. So it only required the two operations. I didn't need any other treatment, not that I don't think I would have gone down that any other treatment route anyway. Because as I said, that was going to be, if I ever got some sort of cancer, that was going to be my kicker to get back to being vegan. And that's when, that's when I went. So that was what I guess was the big thing to kick me back 
to being vegan. And that's when I really started to delve into the health side of plant-based eating. So I didn't know that story at all. And one of the reasons the I feel that the universe is calling me to go plant-based is because two years ago I was diagnosed with melanoma and had had a biopsy done and then had to go and have surgery taken out. So I have a quite a big scar across my back. And at the time it was the doctor, he called me into the office and he was just like, you, you have to come in and bring a friend. And you know, when you're like older in life and someone tells you you've got to come in and bring a friend, bring a support person, you're like, what? You're like, hey, hang on, I don't understand you. I've been through all my life, you know. What do you mean, bring a friend? But I did. And, and anyway, it was because it was, he was trying to explain the gravity of the situation. It was so close to going into my lymph system. Oh, wow. Um, and, you know, I've started to read up some stuff which has really made me realize that uh, we have this environment and things come into our environment and there will always be toxins. There will always be carcinogens. There will always be things that come to us. And at that very first stage, they it's almost like a garden. They will seed themselves. And then the second stage they will start to grow, but they will start to grow in an environment. And that's where I'm at. I'm like, oh, my God. I I think it was um, the China study I was reading. Yes. Where this explained it. Yes. Oh, my God, that book mm. is just phenomenal. And everybody, I will put all the book <laughs> list in the show notes. This really goes into this idea of, of the environment. So, of course, we see people who have sun damage on their skin, mm. but not everybody gets cancer. And it was this thing that changed in my mind, realizing that I control the environment. So I control what it grows in or what it doesn't grow in. And yes, so, I mean, I'd love it if you could talk a little bit about that because Sure, you know a hell of a yeah, lot more yeah. than I do. <laughs> well, um, T. Colin Campbell, the author of the China study, and he's also obviously one of the heroes of the Forks Over Knives documentary. He, I guess, is the author or the creator of the Equinel plant-based certification that I've done. It's him and his son who have actually created that whole course. So, yeah, so essentially what happens in the body Cancer cells just are our own cells. They are our own cells that have been mutated in some way. And how they mutate is when they are exposed to either something like a virus or chemical toxins, sun damage, anything like that. But how our immune system, if our immune system is strong and healthy and our environment in our body is, is balanced, our immune system can work properly to put out those little fires, right? And that's what it's doing every day. So you know, don't think just because you haven't got a tumor or any sort of signs of cancer in your body that you don't have cancer cells. Everybody has them. I'll have more of them floating around my body every single day. But our immune system, that's what it does. It goes and puts out these little fires. But say your body is under toxic stress of some sort or it's, or you're fighting infections or you're ill and your immune system is stretched and it, it's stretched because it's trying to do so much. What it's then going to miss is those 
cancer cells that are starting to accumulate in your body. And what cancer cells are, um, like I said, they're your own cells that have mutated and they become, they don't die. They don't go through that normal sort of life and death cycle that a, that a cell does. They become immortal and they don't turn off and die. And if we are eating a diet that feeds or accelerates the rate of the growth of cancer cells, what we see is an accelerated rate of growth and accumulation of those cells in the body. And the substance, I guess, it's a, it's a hormone within our bodies that really fuels the rate of cancer cell growth, and it's called IGF-1. And what T. Colin Campbell found in, in his studies was that animal protein in particular, and, and he was actually testing whey protein, or sorry, um, casein, um, milk protein, a diet that's 20% of calories made of animal protein will increase the levels of this IGF-1 insulin-like growth factor 1 in the body and therefore accelerate the rate of cancer growth. And it turns on cancer genes and accelerates the growth of those cancer cells. But what he also found is the rate of 5% of animal protein in the diet turns those cancer genes off. And you see tumor growth decline. You see yeah, the sizes of tumors decline and you see the rate of acceleration really drop off. So, you know, he was so excited that he found basically the answer to how cancer is turned on and turned off in the body. And that is with animal protein, essentially. That's extraordinary. So then tell me then about, because obviously there's protein in plants. So Yes, there is. Or how about like soy and stuff? Is that doing the same acceleration? He found that whole plant foods did not have the same, so whole plant proteins did not have the same effect at all on IGF-1. In fact, it had the opposite. It had more of a protective barrier against cancer. So, but what he did find is that soy isolate proteins. So these are the, this is where you've stripped the soy of everything bar the protein. You're stripping out the protein. And this is what goes into making soy protein powders. It goes into making, you know, fake meats and all that sort of stuff. This is what you don't want to be eating. Soy isolate products increase the production of IGF-1 as well. So this is where Okay, I've okay, just got to get my head around this for a second. Okay. <laughs> okay, so just jumping back one second, there's a question which I actually think is kind of quite important. So why is it you are talking about whole food plant-based, not vegan? Okay, that's my first question because yes. I actually, I'm confused as to where did whole food plant-based come from? And then the second question would be, can you just, Explain that again. <laughs> so you're, you're saying that as soon as we change the format of the original product, we are altering the chemical makeup of it and it becomes something else which then can accelerate the cancer growth. So yes. first, let's go to the, um, yeah, sorry to jump around on you here, That's Karen, right. but first go to this thing about why is everyone talking plant-based? Why are they just not saying vegan or vegetarian? Yeah, okay. So essentially, I'll explain the difference between the two. So vegan is more of an ethical stance. So vegan is somebody who doesn't support any industry that abuses animals in any way. So whether that's food, whether that's clothing, whether that is entertainment, so things like horse racing and things like that, a vegan will not support those industries. So it's not just about the food. But plant-based is not necessarily an ethical stance either. And plant-based is also more of a health stance. 
So someone who's whole food plant-based won't be eating things like the fake cheeses, the fake meats. They will be whole food products only. So a vegan can be a vegan can be a junk food vegan and be eating, you know, all the vegan cakes and donuts and croissants and fake meats, all that sort of stuff. So they're similar, but they're different. And I call myself a whole food plant-based vegan because I'm both. (laughs) Okay. Because you've got the the ethics and you see the soul behind the eyes of the cow. I think I just, I heard you say that before and I was just like, oh my God. You see the soul behind the eyes of the animal. And then you're bringing in the whole food. Okay, just explain for us exactly what is whole food. Do you mean one whole plum, (laughs) one whole potato? Or like, yeah, when does it become not whole? (laughs) Yeah, what I might do is explain it with something like, yeah, well, let's talk an orange. Okay, so an orange is the whole food. If you want to eat whole food, you'll pick up the orange, you'll eat the orange. You might cut it up, put it in a salad, whatever. It's the whole food. When it becomes not the whole food is when you start juicing it. So you strip away all the fiber and strip away some of the goodness from that food and you're left with part of that food, which is just the intense sugar. (laughs) So, yeah, there's still nutrients in the juice, but you've stripped out a lot of the goodness, which is in the fiber as well. So that's what we would call not a whole food. Also the soy example. So a soybean, for example, soy or anything, things like soy milk, edamame, tofu, tempeh, those sorts of things are considered minimally processed and they're still okay on a whole food plant-based diet. But what happens when we take the soybean and we strip all the protein out and we take away all the fiber, all the carbohydrates, all the fat, we don't want all that, so we just want the protein, that's when it becomes not a whole food. And that's not how nature intended us to consume that food. So when that protein hits the body, the body's going, where's all the other bits that I'm supposed to process this with? We are too concerned with the sort of reductionist theory of zeroing in on something that we think is really, really important, but not looking at the whole picture and seeing how we're supposed to be consuming our food. And that's, you know, if a soybean comes with fiber, it comes with carbohydrates, it comes with protein, it comes with fat, that's how our body is meant to be breaking it down. And that's when our body works best when it can break it down that way. That's when all the chemical reactions that have to happen in our body do happen. And when we're stripping out all the, a lot of the goodness that comes with that food and we're just taking out one piece of the pie, that's when that product doesn't become as good as it used to be. It's actually an, an inferior product. And okay, I think, I'm going to slip in a question then. Yes. <laughs> this <laughs> one is another one which I'm sure a lot of people be asking. Vitamins. Yes. Supplements. Yeah. So if we're not eating the whole food, we're not getting all of those compounds that exist in that whole food, which we don't even probably know half of what they do. Yes. So if we just replace them with the vitamin C pill, you know, what's your view on supplements? Well, again, I mean, and this is what all the plant-based giants teach as well, T. Colin Campbell and Corbel Esselstyn, anybody who's in that plant-based nutritional or doctor field, medical field, is that once we've isolated something again and broken it down into a chemical compound that represents nothing that we see in nature, our body doesn't know what to do with it properly. (laughs) So supplements can be a big waste of money. 
and I don't subscribe to them at all. The only time I would suggest taking supplements is if your doctor has told you that your levels of something are low and you need to top it up. And that's if you can't somehow get enough of it from your diet. There's something going on in your body that you actually need to have a top up. And for example, you can see this a lot with women who've had children. For some reason, they can often struggle to keep up their levels of iron in the body mm. and be anemic. And as much as, you know, they can eat a diet that's high in, you know, leafy greens and, and beans and all that sort of stuff that's high in iron, sometimes it's just not enough. And of course, you know, as women, we have a monthly cycle and that's when we, we're dumping a, a heap of iron each month as well. So yeah, for some people it can be a struggle. And that's when I would suggest a doctor prescribe what exactly they need. But also the other side of supplements is that not only can they be a waste of money if they're just not necessarily, they're just just going to pee them out basically. Some of them can actually be toxic if the levels get too high in your body and iron's actually one of them. So iron will actually, it's like oxidizing. So, you know, think of your car when it rusts and that's what it does inside our body if, if we've got too much iron. That is really <laughs> a, lot, a lot to take in. Now, there's, only one, there's only one supplement that everybody recommends that everybody whether you're plant-based, whether you're meat-eater, everybody should be supplementing because this is a microbe that we would normally have got from our soil. But because of you know modern farming practices, modern hygiene practices, a lot of it's been stripped out of our soil. And that's B12. So once upon a time, you know, we would have foraged around for our tubers and our veggies in the dirt, and we probably wouldn't have washed it off quite so well, or we might have got some B12 from the the lakes or the rivers that we were washing our veggies in, and that's how we got our B12. And once upon a time, animals were eating straight from the soil, and that's where they got their B12 from as well. But that's not really happening anymore. So animals are eating from feedlots. We are eating, you know, highly processed, well, not highly processed, I mean highly washed and sterilized foods. <laughs> so we're not getting it in our diet either. It's, it's not really in the soil like it used to be. So it is recommended that everybody should be supplementing B12. Mm. And the good thing about B12 is you can't over supplement. It's not been shown to be detrimental if your levels are high. So that's, that's, that's everything. Really good to yeah. know. Good to know there. And I know I asked two parts to that question earlier and I've actually forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> I've forgotten what the second half of the question. I think you wanted me to go back and explain the IGF-1 again. Was that, is that what you wanted? Oh, I was the, okay. But I think you actually, that's right. Because I was saying that a whole food and how, yes. it, and then like how that becomes not a whole food, but actually you did explain it. So that's quite good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I'm imagining quite a few people out there listening and thinking, right, like I, okay, this is amazing. I want to change my environment, whether I have anything or not. I want to be protective. I want to take charge. I want to change the environment. I'm hearing about plant food. I want to start doing it. Okay. Here's the multitude of questions. I work out at the gym and actually I do personally on this one, work out six days a week, up to six days a week. I'm doing strength training. I'm doing performance. I know that to keep my weight down, the guys are telling me to amp up on my protein. How am I going to get that without meat? (laughs) Oh, look, I can tell you the protein, what do we call it? The protein push is a myth. It's a marketing myth. It's been a very good one. Everyone's bought right into it. And part of the work that T. Colin Campbell did as part of his whole sort of China study research was, I guess, determined that we only need about 10% of our calories 
overall from protein. And most people are getting way, way, way more than this, particularly people who are eating meat and dairy. So plant foods, all plant foods contain protein, carbohydrates, fat, fiber, all of those vitamins, neutral, uh, vitamins, minerals, that sort of thing. So all plant foods contain protein. And, you know, even something like a potato, I think, is about 8 9% protein. And broccoli, I think, is... Broccoli, I think it was, has more protein per kilo than beef or per pound, but per weight. I know spinach does as well. It's just that, you know, spinach is very, very light. So, of course, for the same weight, you've got to have a lot more spinach. But, yeah, there's a lot of protein in vegetables. Okay. Um, so, so, yeah, as long as you're getting enough calories, as long as you're consuming enough calories, you're easily going to be getting enough protein. And if you are eating a wide variety of foods as well, so all protein, sorry, all plant foods also contain all essential amino acids. And I know that's the one that a lot of people get concerned about. Um, now, meat contains amino acids in the ratio that's very close to our own amino acid profile. And why is that? It's because it, we're eating animals. We're eating flesh, essentially. So of course, that's going to be more like our own chemical makeup. But plants also contain all amino acids. All of them do. Each plant contains all amino acids, but they, the ratio varies and it varies per plant, you know, different type of plant. And it's also different to our own chemical makeup. But what happens is, you know, if you're eating a wide variety of plants, you'll be getting, you know, a wide variety of the different amino acids and the different ratios. But what happens when we eat proteins is our body breaks down that protein into the various different amino acid profiles. And it uses those different amino acids as and where we need around the body. So it's not like we have to consume it all in one lump because it's going to be used all in one lump. It's like, no, we break that down. You know, you go off in that direction, you go off in that direction. I'm not going to name them all because I can't remember all the names. I just know how it works. When you think of the logical thing of it, it's like animals are going to be getting Oh, animal flesh. Oh, God, that makes you, puts you off eating meat, just having animal flesh. <laughs> got these things in it because the animals are bloody well eating the vegetables. <laughs> They're consuming the nutrients out of the vegetables. So why don't we just remove the middleman or middle cow and eat the things ourselves? Well, that's, so, that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Animals really are just a filter, I guess, because, you know, think about the cow. The cow's eating grass or hay or something. The cow is getting all of their protein from the plants they eat. They're also getting all the calcium. So think of cows who milk. She doesn't make calcium. She gets the calcium from the plants she eats and then it comes out through her milk. Mm. Yeah. So, and calcium... We don't build strong bones by consuming calcium. We store our calcium in our bones, but we make strong bones with physical activity, weight-bearing activity. I can touch on that quickly if you want. Yeah, why, well, actually, I wouldn't mind personally for that because one of the things yeah. that I had was I got tested a while back for having like low bone density, low bone density. And I have since been going to the gym and I actually, you know, thinking that the strength training is actually helping yeah. more than well, anything yeah. else. Yeah, it should be. Now, 
the marketing message is that we need milk for strong bones, don't we? So milk has calcium, we need that for strong bones. But the truth is that it's actually highly acidic within our bodies. And in order for our bodies to neutralize that acid profile, what it does is it turns, it starts to leach the calcium out of our bones because that's a neutralizer of some sort. And it, that helps bring the body back into pH balance. And what you see is a real correlation between the rates of dairy consumption in the world. So nations that have the highest dairy consumption also have the highest rates of osteoporosis. And sorry, New Zealand, but you're right up there, right up there with, I think, the US and yeah, there are other countries up there who have very high rates of dairy and also very high rates of osteoporosis. And um, I grew up in dairy country. <laughs> Why can't I? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I was surrounded by this and surrounded by that message as well. So, yeah, so where do we get our calcium from? Otherwise, we get it from, well, virtually all plants, but green leafy vegetables in particular are great for calcium uh, and beans. Green leafy vegetables and beans alike should be your staples. <laughs> they're high in iron, they're high in fiber, they're high in antioxidants, they're high in calcium, they're great. <laughs> Okay, so I'm convinced I want to change and I'm freaking out about this because it's just like, where do you start? I mean, okay, you're a coach and you specifically help people with this transition. Well, I'll just contact that for a moment. Yeah. This is where I'm wanting to take my coaching business from here. So I'm doing a little bit of research at the moment and I put a call out just a few days ago, just looking for some women who were in a situation like yours, Alex, who are thinking about going plant-based but don't really know where to start, might have a few blocks about, you know, about making that transition. So I'm sort of getting in underneath what those questions are that they have, their struggles are, what's holding them back, so that I can take my coaching and what I do and actually twist it so that I can actually start helping people in this space. So I have been sort of just general health coaching, helping people with their weight and helping people with um, digestive problems because a lot of digestive problems are caused by exactly the same things that we've been talking about, you know, animal proteins and, and processed foods and things and like so that. And so were you so putting them on a plant-based diet when they had gut problems? Not strictly, although that can help, but, but helping them just rework what their diet looks like and get more of the good stuff, more fiber into their diet so that their digestion starts to work properly. So no, not necessarily, um, you know, helping them fully transition to plant-based eating, but I guess my heart lies, my, I've got this calling back to actually start helping people want to go and who want to go into this space mm. and, you know, helping people who might be stuck and actually help them on that transition or, you know, also be a health coach, general health coaching for people who are already potentially vegan who want to just improve their health, improve their weight, that sort of stuff as well. So, yeah, so, but that's where I want to take my coaching from here. Mm. So were you just wondering what the first step might be? Yeah, what would be the first step for someone if they wanted to work with you? You know, what... The first step that I would have them do is really dig into their, their why, why they're wanting to do this. Okay, psychology then, mindset. Definitely getting the mindset right because once the mindset is right, anything can really be achieved. And if the reason for doing something like this is just too sort of surface level, 
it's too easy to fall off track. It's too easy to self-sabotage. It's too easy to say, I don't care about any anymore. I'm going to go back to how I was eating. So we really need to dig deep and find out what the why is and really anchor that to the journey so that there's reminders around them all the time. And then the next step is just, look, I would let the client determine how quickly they want to do this. If they want to transition slowly, we do it slowly. We put a plan around that. If they want to go cold turkey and go now, we do that. And then we deal with what happens along the way, that any self-sabotaging moments, any negative setbacks, any like everybody makes mistakes on the journey. Everybody falls over at some point and it's teaching them to sit back and not hold judgment against themselves when this happens and just to sit back with curiosity and notice and decide how they felt about that moment, whether how they felt physically in their body, but also emotionally, mentally, how they felt as they made that mistake or did something that they shouldn't do, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, like binge on that pack of chocolate biscuits. <laughs> uh, you know, exactly. Like we're human. Nobody is ever going to be perfect and it's about progress over perfection. And yeah. too many of us, too many of us do expect a lot from ourselves and we expect a lot from other people as well. Mm. And it's about sitting back and actually understanding that, you know, these things are going to show up in our lives, but how do we deal with that emotionally and don't, you know, allowing ourselves to have those moments without letting it set us back. So yeah, there's, um, there's a lot of fun stuff that happens (laughs) along the way. And like, seriously, like changing the way you have eaten for probably, I don't know, 30, 40 years, however long, you know, you might have been eating a certain way is a tough thing to do. It's, Mm. it can be a really tough transition. And I know that even as I, you know, was first sort of going from pescatarian to vegetarian, I made a change and then I went back again my mindset wasn't in the right place. I was too worried about thinking about the foods that I was giving up. And I manifested some things like physical things in my body. My nails went dry and really split and so did my hair. And I said, oh, it must be the change in diet. Maybe I'm supposed to be eating fish. So I went back to eating and everything came right again. But no, that was for me, it was a mindset thing. My body was physically trying to tell me something that in here I was already telling myself. Does that make in sense? In your head. In your, it my, was actually in your head. It was in my head, was. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So my body yeah. was physically manifesting proof. Yeah. That my head was right. Oh my God. So Everything when, starts with our thoughts. Our thoughts is where it starts. So you help with the mindset and then you also help with the overall map, the plan. You help them really fit it into their lifestyle. So if they're a, a mum with kids, you can target that and say, okay, well, look, this is where you can work. How about recipes? I know, do you, do you offer recipes? Do you offer that kind of help as well? Because sometimes that's the thing that I'm just like, oh my God, you know, where do I even, where do, you start? Where do I even yeah. start? Like I, I almost want someone just to give me Tell a you week. what to do. Exactly. Yeah. For the first <laughs> week, give me something that I could just, copy, repeat, copy, repeat until I've got that habit yes, underway and, yeah. and, and I'm kind of into it. Because, you know, I'm single, I live alone, so it is easier for me. But I also know there are some issues with living alone and that I don't necessarily appreciate myself enough to go and take that time to make myself a fully balanced nutritional meal. Sound familiar? 
Uh, yeah, <laughs> Alex, I, yeah, I'm the same and I'm prone to doing the same myself too, you know, so don't worry, even as a health coach, I do it too. But you And know. this is why I need coaches in my life because a coach, yeah. <laughs> everybody, a coach is there to, you know, to inspire you, but to actually get you to the point that you have all the tools so that you then go and lead that life that you want to lead. Mm. So, Karen, look, I have taken, I've gone so over time. I'm really conscious. I was going to try and keep right. this for minutes, right. but I, it's so important. It's such an interesting topic. Just to finish off, where would you like people to contact you? How do people contact you? Are you on Instagram? Are you on Facebook? Uh, LinkedIn. I am, well, Facebook is my main platform at the moment. And I do have a Facebook page called The Plant Power Coach. So you can hit me up there, give me a like, Fantastic. or just send me a friend request as well. Karen Sawyer, K-E-R-R-Y-N-S-A-W-Y-E-R. Just send me a I probably do most of, yeah, I do most of my posting from my personal page, to be honest. Okay. And I have a Facebook group called Plant Power Health. So yeah, more than welcome to come and join. And I'm about to start, you know, putting in a few freebie things for my gang there, putting up a seven day recipe plan, basically, to get people. Okay. I'm in on that one then. A few tips and tricks coming as well. And I am on Insta. You can find me under the Plant Power Coach, all one word, on Insta as well. Probably don't post there quite so much because most of uh, most of my audience is on Facebook. Yeah. I guess it's our generation. We're more and Facebook then for anyone from a generation who just absolutely despises, detests, and has never gone down the Facebook, Instagram sort of way, <laughs> Can they contact you through a email or? Yes, yes. So my email, karen.sawyer at theplantpowercoach.com.au. Well, this has been fantastic. I have, I've just learned so much. It's <laughs> just so interesting. I will put all those books that Karen's mentioned, like the China study into the notes Karen, thank you very much. I really feel like this is probably just the first of a few conversations we could have because actually I'd love to go down the route of actually getting into some recipes at some point with you. Uh, oh, absolutely. I never even I got that. a chance I to ask that. that. Yeah. yeah, just like some real quick wins for people. Mm, it's like, you know. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. How to change your meal so it's, you know, more whole food plant-based. Absolutely. And yes, yes, just to answer your question that we didn't get to before, yes, I will have a package that comes with recipes as well. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you very much. My heartfelt thanks for listening all the way to the end of this Flowerhood podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Please subscribe to the show, like and review it on your favorite player. Be part of the greater Flowerhood community. Join the Flowerhood Facebook group and find show notes and information at flowerhood.com. I can't wait to share the next episode. Until then, hey, why not stop and smell the roses?